everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician. And uh, thank you all for joining me for this episode. So the FearCast is a question and answer based podcast where you, the listener, get to send me, the therapist, questions about OCD, anxiety, uh, treatment, and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, you can go over to FearCastPodcast.com. You can go uh, or click on the submit a uh, question link, and uh, I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. So you can send it on over there, and I appreciate all of you for joining me today to chat about this wonderful topic today. So while typically we talk about question and answers, or I answer questions from y'all, but uh, today I'm going to be releasing a talk that I, uh, I participated in at the OCD SoCal conference that happened this past weekend. So I was uh, I was part of a talk hosted by Lauren McMeekin, and uh, I was joined as well by Kelly Frankie and Elena Fasan. So all of them are licensed clinicians, and all of them are OCD specialists at various places. And um, we all joined up together to chat about mental obsessions, so what they are and what you can do about them. So, uh, so we gave this talk, uh, we put this talk together, and uh, we're going to be giving a very similar talk to it, or a similar talk as well at the uh, Denver uh, Summer Conference. Uh, well, conferences will be happening in a couple of couple of months, I suppose. But uh, it should be it should be exciting to see everybody there to see uh, people in person. But, um, but we put this talk together, so I'm going to cut out the question and answer section. So I'm really just going to play the play the talk. Um, if you have questions about this or would like um, a further clarification on some of the things, uh, you can go over to. Fearcast podcast and go over to the submit a question link and ask me the question over there. You can also ask me the question, I suppose, over at Instagram. So I'm Fearcast Podcast, and if you don't follow me yet, I, I click on the follow link for that one uh, just to uh, get some updates and uh, uh, other things that might be happening. Um, and uh, I suppose, needless and, and obnoxiously to say, um, if you're not subscribed to this, um, it would be fantastic if you did. Um, if you like the show, recommend it to somebody. If you also like the show if you can rate or um, write a review for it on whatever platform you get a podcast, that would be fantastic. So, all right, everybody, without further ado, here is our talk on how to manage mental compulsions. Uh, good afternoon, though. In all seriousness, I'm Lauren Rosen. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Southern California. Uh, I am also the director of the Center for the Obsessive Mind and specialize in the treatment of OCD, anxiety, and eating disorders. And I'm so excited to talk with you all and this crew of fabulous people who I'll allow to introduce themselves momentarily about understanding and navigating the tricky spies of the compulsion world mental compulsions. Popcorn, Kelly Frankie. Hello, ding dong. I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I specialize in the treatment of OCD, OCD spectrum disorders and anxiety disorders. I'm the director at the Center for OCD. And uh, Elena, you're That's up. me. Kushball. My name is Elena Fasan, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. I specialize in the treatment of children and adolescents with OCD, OCD spectrum disorders, phobias, anxiety disorders, and body-focused repetitive disorders. And I work at the OCD Center of Los Angeles. It's all you, Kevin. 
Hi, everybody. <clears throat> My name is Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed uh, MFT, marriage and family therapist, uh, specializing in OCD and anxiety uh, spectrum disorders. And I am the director of the California OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. And shall we get underway? Slide it. Well, thank you all again for joining us. I guess I'm, I'm leaping us off. That's the thing that people say, right? Well, uh, so we're going to be talking about OCD to no surprise, right? So let's first just go over what OCD is in a nutshell. So OCD, for those of y'all who are um, just new to this, is uh, is an anxiety disorder marked by unwanted, intrusive thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, or urges that can produce a tremendous sense of anxiety, nervousness, fear, um, neutrality, a whole gaggle of feelings, but generally speaking, it's anxiety, which then spawns a series of um, compulsive behaviors to try to manage those thoughts and feelings that unfortunately, once you do them, reinforces the cycle. So we are going to be focusing on the mental mental compulsions or mental part of the compulsive cycle. So that's going to be our primary focus today. And why don't we get into more details about what obsessions are? That would be me. So what are obsessions? Obsessions can present as thoughts, images, or urges or impulses. Um, obsessions can create doubt. They often present in the form of what-if thoughts. For example, what if I snap and hurt someone? What if I am with the wrong person? What if there are germs on this counter? And while obsessions can be and are often anxiety provoking, more generally, they cause some form of distress or discomfort. This could be anxiety, but it could also be a feeling of disgust or overwhelm or frustration or any or all of those combined. Um, underlying the stress can often be a sense of dread. Something bad is going to happen. Uh, obsessions are unwanted upsetting and intrusive and they come unbidden so they're not invited they're a little intrusive like that door doorbell sound right oh, it's killing me <laughs> it's killing me too ding dong. Um, ding dong um obsessions may go against just when i was not hearing it i know just think, just think that we're in the therapy store and people yep. keep coming in the door Ding dong. People coming in. It's the OCD uh, deli. They may go against one's wants, desires, moral codes, self-image, and or character. Obsessions illustrate feared consequences. And those experiencing obsessions overestimate the risk posed by those obsessions in terms of the feared consequences or consequence coming to pass. Obsessions tend to be sticky, meaning the person with OCD pays too much attention to them. They latch onto them and hyper-focus on them. They become overvalued, and it is difficult for those experiencing them to resist over-responding to them by compulsing, which I believe Kelly is going to discuss. Yes, so compulsions. Compulsions are the problem, everybody. In case you didn't know, intrusive Preach. thoughts tend to get, they get the bad rap of the group, but actually it's how we respond to them that get us stuck in that that cycle. So more broadly speaking of compulsions, it's any behavior done to try to neutralize or get rid of that very uncomfortable feeling associated with the obsession, as Elena just spoke about. They really seem urgent. Um, for example, I have to, I must retrace my steps because I had a bad thought 
and I have to do it now. So it feels like a threat, feels like this has to happen. And it's like ASAP. Um, A person with OCD is engaging in repetitive behavior to such excess that it can interfere with their ability to function and cause a great deal of impairment in their life. Just keep in mind with compulsive behavior, their sole purpose, their goal in life is to try try to eliminate any amount of doubt or uncertainty. And as you probably all know, that's impossible to do because uncertainty isn't a real thing, even though we would all hope it could be. Um, And even though the sufferer suspects that these obsessions are probably not realistic, they still feel compelled to engage in this compulsive behavior and describe it as outside of their control. So really briefly, the OC cycle at play. Yes. So essentially to wrap it all into a nice diagram, an obsession comes about often because of an internal trigger and an external trigger. So let's take harm OCD, for example. The internal trigger might be an image of murdering your family. An external trigger might look like a knife. Brings up this thought, what if I want to murder my family? Which naturally, when taken seriously, leads to discomfort, anxiety, uncertainty. And in response to that, people will do a whole vast array of compulsions. They might avoid things like avoiding knives or the kitchen entirely. They might ask for reassurance. Like, do you think it means something if you have a thought? Uh, They might engage in behavioral compulsions like tapping, for instance, to a certain number. And they might also engage in mental compulsions, which is why you're all here today. And so they might pray to make sure that like, if I say this prayer, then I won't murder my family. And the problem is that these behaviors work temporarily. And sometimes they don't always work. Uh, But when they do work through the process of negative reinforcement, they become, it becomes more likely we'll repeat these behaviors in the future. So because doing compulsions takes away the anxiety, doubt, discomfort, uh, it becomes more likely that you'll you'll repeat them to get rid of anxiety and do- discomfort and doubt the next time they come up or the obsession comes up. And likewise, uh, by performing any behavior in response to the feelings and the thoughts, you end up giving them a sense of credence or importance. That is exactly right. So what, what can OCD look like? Well... <clears throat> It can look like almost anything. It can take a a ton of different forms. It can take a ton of different presentations. We often say that, or at least I often say, you could have 10 people in a room all with the, quote, the same um, obsessions or the same themes, and you're going to see 10 very different people. And it can, an OCD is going to attack or latch itself onto almost anything in life and can, can be it can be anything. Compulsions can be um, everything under the sun, but oftentimes they are going to come in the form of uh, come in the form of, of checking reassurance, but all that stuff. But as we've mentioned, we're going to be talking mostly about the mental compulsions. But also, mental compulsions can mental compulsions and physical outward compulsions can certainly take place at the same time. What's what's tricky about them is that it's it is obviously impossible to see those mental compulsions. So they they kind of fly under the radar and they're in their harder to identify or point out or even or even notice them as problems. So what we wanted to do is to just uh, show a quick little video 
This is a video from a movie called um, As Good As It Gets. I blanked on that real quick. So um, it's from a movie called As Good As It Gets, and it's going to show Jack Nicholson um, uh, coming into his apartment. And and he in this movie has uh, has OCD, and he's you're going to see a lot of different things that he's doing, a lot of a lot of overt compulsions. But what we wanted to talk about are some maybe covert compulsions that perhaps he might be experiencing additionally or underneath the outward ones. So hit it. All right, so you see him going through this locking routine. He's being very intentional in counting. Now, additionally, as he's doing this, he might also be trying to get a physical sense of safety or comfort. He might be scanning or mentally mentally uh, 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 checking his body for physical sensations, either good ones or bad ones, whichever one is going to be the thing that can get him to the next step. So now he's he's washing his hands and he just grabbed this new bar of soap. So theoretically, that's a clean, safe bar of soap. He just does one quick washing, but he's he's going to go back for a second one. Now, what we don't know is whether or not he's going back for a second one because that's part of his routine or part of his cycle, or if he needs if he's going back to it because that first wash didn't get the the right feeling or the clean feeling that he was hoping to get out of that. So there, as, as we're seeing, he's doing a lot of external components but there can be a whole litany of things that are going on underneath and I, I, I probably didn't even or I certainly did not get through everything that he could be doing but just to show that there's a lot more that could be happening that meets the eye okay so I am going to talk about what OCD looks like by describing some of the common themes of OCD obsessions. As Kevin mentioned, there are common themes. We like to categorize things, um, but OCD is OCD is OCD. So contamination is related to the fear of getting sick and or feeling gross, disgusted, or what some clients will describe as germy. I just feel germy. Um, need to know involves the urge or impulse to confirm or to verify, to know for sure, very strong impulse to have certainty to know for sure. Harm OCD and self-harm OCD are the fear of physically harming oneself or others or emotionally harming others. Moral scrupulosity involves the fear of not being a good enough person, while religious scrupulosity involves the fear of not following the tenets or practices of one's faith well enough or somehow going against God. Sexual orientation OCD, sometimes called HOCD, is the fear of being in denial about one's true sexual orientation. Gender identity OCD is the fear of being wrong about or not accepting one's gender identity. I want to be clear that it's really rare for me, to, and I think my fellow speakers would back this up, for me to meet a sexual orientation OCD person who is homophobic or a gender identity OCD person who is transphobic. And that can be misconstrued sometimes. It's not about that. It's about they're afraid that they don't know that what their identity is, that they're afraid that they're not sure if they're really who they think they are. So I wanted to be clear about that. Pedophile OCD or POCD is the fear of being attracted to or wanting to sexually harm children and or adolescents. Mental health OCD is the fear of losing one's mind and or having an undiagnosed mental disorder. And relationship OCD is the fear of being with the wrong person. 
So as Kevin mentioned, um, OCD can latch on to anything. And this list does not include all possible obsessions, existential OCD, need for symmetry, perinatal and post uh, postnatal OCD are other examples of current themes, but we often say in the field that the content doesn't really matter. Um, I like to say to my kiddo clients, same OCD, different mask, same OCD, different costume. And this is really important because OCD can, not always, but it can jump around from theme to theme, or we call it morphing. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. Like you'll have one theme that's very strong and then that dissipates, then another one pops up and it can jump around. So if we just think of it as the same OCD kind of hiding behind a bush and jumping out and scaring you with a different mask, but underneath it, it's just the same OCD. It's also important because regardless of the theme, the response is the same, compulsions, and the treatment is the same. Um, finally, since people with OCD tend to hyper-focus on the content, it's really important for them to learn that OCD thoughts are just thoughts, like any other thought, and in fact, very similar to the thoughts that everyone has. Um, it's just that people with OCD overvalue them and then overrespond to them by compulsing, which I believe Kelly will discuss. Right. Back to the bad guys, the compulsions. <clears throat> so like Elena had done so nicely, where we categorize all these things very neat, we're going to try to attempt to do that with compulsions. So um, we start with the very overt, which simply just means it's something we can see. It's observable. So this might look like checking to see if the stove is on to make sure the house doesn't burn down when you go to sleep at night. Um, hand washing excessively to the just right feeling. Um, like Jack Nicholson may or may not have been doing in that clip. We're not sure because it was probably, um, that one was probably a mental compulsion. But uh, hand washing would be something we'd actually physically see them doing. Asking others for reassurance about anything related to the fear like, oh my gosh, do you think I'll die because I drank that milk today and it was expired today or it, its expiration date was yesterday. Uh, avoiding potential triggers, so maybe avoiding schools around three o'clock because people are worried about um, molesting a child. So this would be POCD. And then for the moment we've all been waiting for, the covert compulsions, which are the mental ones, yay. Um, these are harder to identify for this very reason. We cannot physically see them. So they are harder to catch for many reasons. Um, there are many different types of mental compulsions that we will define here today in, in our presentation. They're not formal names. They're not something you're going to find the DSM. But the language we do use, we use loosely. We use it to identify them for what they are and so that the sufferer can help build awareness into it. So let's break it down. Uh, first one, mental avoidance or thought suppression. This is the old don't think of a white elephant one. So for example of OCD, it might be don't think about kicking the dog. Whatever you do, don't think about the dog. Definitely not kicking the dog. Unfortunately, that's an impossible task because you all just now thought of kicking a dog. Um, thought neutralizing. Uh, this is replacing a good thought with a bad thought. So or a good image with a bad Im or bad image. So it's if a person has an intrusive uh, thought of the devil, they might replace that thought with a thought of God. Mental counting. 
So a person might be counting how many times they're rewashing or engaging in a very specific ritual. Tracing and tracking. This is often seen in contamination. It looks like what we call wet paint. So it's where the person follows this contaminated item and all the cross contaminants that were included in it. It's as if it was dropped into a big pot of, of wet paint and to everybody else, it's invisible. Um, but for the person who's tracking it, it definitely isn't. In fact, they're very aware of every single aspect of where it's it's come in contact in their home. So they avoid it. Mental review, a fan favorite, uh, reviewing all things that have happened in the past. Did I bully that kid in high school? What does that mean about me? Did I do did uh, did I do or say anything inappropriate or offensive yesterday when I was at the family picnic? Emotional checking. I like to call this one checking the weather inside. So how do I feel today? Am I feeling love towards my partner? Is my OCD getting better? Do I still feel anxious? Uh, so to get a better idea of how this plays out in the OC cycle, I'm going to briefly go over how it would look with emotional checking. So internal trigger, you look at your partner. External trigger, your partner says, I love you. And then you go, you know what? What if I don't really love my partner? It's just maybe it's not there. And that feels really uncomfortable. So then that person engages in this compulsion of checking taking the temperature and saying, do I, do I feel, do I feel the love feeling? And there might be this temporary relief and then we get stuck. So. But wait, there's more. <laughs> wait, there's more. <laughs> Just when you thought you had enough of the mental compulsions, there are more ways that these bad boys can show up. Mm -hmm. Rumination is a really great catch-all term that just refers to bringing up uh, an idea to mull over, over, and over again. And it can be helpful to remember the root of the word rumination comes from the description of the behavior performed by a class of animal called ruminants. Sorry, this is kind of gross, but essentially what ruminants do is they chew on their food, they swallow it, and then they regurgitate it, and then they chew it some more, which is essentially what what we're doing when we're ruminating is oh I've I've got this idea okay I've I've put it to bed no wait I'm gonna bring it back for mm. some more chewing so food for thought next time <laughs> you're uh, you're <laughs> uh, uh, trying to swallow uh, a thought oh. anyway uh, mental rehearsal is where people project into the future to try to get certainty about what's going to happen if somebody has uh, moral scrupulosity for instance or emotional harm and is afraid about uh, offending someone, they might project into the future to make sure that they figure out exactly what to say in a way that will not offend. That would be mental rehearsal. Mental checking involves going back and reviewing a physical check that you did. So if you were like Jack Nicholson, uh, checking the, the lock on the door, mental checking would be, I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember that I did that so that I can feel certain about that and then feel good, safe less anxious. Memory hoarding, on the other hand, is when somebody really focuses in on a compulsion that they're performing. I'm going to really hear that that click of that doorknob, uh, and I'm going to save that recollection for later so that I feel uh, certainty or I feel a sense of certainty around 
the fact that I did that. Compulsive prayer, I mentioned earlier, involves praying in order to make sure something bad doesn't happen. I'm going to I'm going to say the another Hail Mary, and that's going to keep me from murdering my family. Scenario twisting involves going back and replaying a situation in a number of different ways that it could have gone based on actions. And then self-reassurance, which I likewise will show on this diagram. So as we discussed earlier, you might have a violent image, you might see a knife, and these things if you have harm OCD, could bring up a thought like, what if I want to murder my family? Of course, you feel uncertain about this. It's a reflection of uncertainty. So you try to make sure, try to get certain that you're not going to kill your family. And you do that by reassuring yourself. But wait a second, I don't even kill flies. So there's no way I'd kill my family. The problem is over time, well, first of all, right, we talked about the temporary relief, which makes you basically a slave to compulsions. And in addition to that, uh, OCD can really uh, require more compulsivity of you over time. So uh, at one point, this reassurance of yourself might might give you temporary relief. And then, you know, two hours later, you can't just say it once. You have to say it twice. Or now you have to ask for reassurance in addition to re reassuring yourself. So uh, this is a game that you can't win, as Kelly said earlier, compulsions are the problem that we are trying to eliminate. So before we jump into what we can do and how we can actually deal with these, it's 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 necessary to, to separate the difference between an obsession and a mental compulsion. The These two have for a long time kind of been pushed together into essentially being considered the same thing by a lot of people. This is where the myth of the pure O comes from, a pure obsessional, this kind of belief that someone only has an obsession, or they'll say, like, I was obsessing on this for days. The obsession is not going away. It's there for days. I'm not doing any compulsions about it, but the thought is still there. Oftentimes, what that means is there. this person is engaging in mental compulsions. As we've talked about, the obsession is going to be this unwanted intrusive thought that just pops in your head. And it's what I call the feared story. It says, it says, if this, then that. What if blank happens? Now, first off, the obsession is just a, it's, it's, it's a neutral thought. It's, um, as it says here, it, it's passive thought. It just pops into our head. It doesn't necessarily mean one thing or another or it doesn't imply anything by itself. But the question introduces this sense of uncertainty. It introduces this, this um, that, 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 may be, that, that may be a question, right? So like with physical compulsions, the mental compulsion is then something that we're doing to answer that question or to eliminate the question or to get or to settle ourselves in the process. So the so this is what, what this is a, an active process. So we call it active thinking. And again, the process is is done to re, to resolve that type of, of uncertainty. But it's helpful again to to notice that these are two different things. But the compulsion is kind of a seen as a solution to a problem, and the problem being this question. So the problem then, or if we're then going to view the obsession as a problem, some people have then, instead of engaging in mental compulsions, I want you to think about maybe a subtype under mental compulsions is something called thought suppression. So thought suppression is going to be this process of trying to forcefully shove this thought out of our head or forcefully make ourselves not think about the obsession by itself. Um, can I get the next slide, please? Yep. 
Thank you so much. So it, it's it, it, as I mentioned, it's going to be this this effortful task to get this thought out of our head. As we talked about before, don't think about that white elephant. It, it doesn't really work. Don't think about murder. Don't think about that guy over there. Any of that stuff is going to only reinforce that the thought is going to be there and it's going to be in our head. So what we want to try to do is instead of um, kind of instead of forcing the thought out of our head is to actually let go of our effort to deal with it. Now, this is not the same as thought suppression. It is it is just allowing something to float as it is for the time that it is there. I, I, I guarantee very few things in life, but one of the things that I guarantee is that your brain's going to get bored with this thought and it's going to get distracted by something else. It'll get back to this other thought, but it will get bored with it and shift. So we want to be letting this thought be there. And we can... in. Um, we, we can engage in this in disengagement or engage in re, redirecting our focuses, is how some people call it. And that's the process of gently shifting our focus back to something that is of greater value to us, something that we care more about, that we, that we want more, that is more meaningful to us, however you want to say it. But it's to, it's to let go of the active process of mental compulsion or thought suppression. So let's say a thought pops into our mind and uh, whatever it might be produces this sense of uncertainty. Now, you might try to shove that thought out, but you're engaging with it with energy. Or you might try to answer it, question it, uh, evaluate it, check how it makes you feel, do something with it. But again, this is an active process. Instead, what we're trying to do is to acknowledge that there's nothing that we can do that's reasonably going to get rid of this without just further reinforcing our obsession. So instead, we're going to politely allow it to be there, acknowledge that it's there, and refocus our attention. Um, just very briefly, you can kind of, if you're staring at me, you're already doing this. If you're staring at me, you can kind of see my little leaves in the background. But if you're staring at me, you still see this out of the corner of your eye. If you then focus on this, turn your attention towards my leaf, you can still see my ridiculous face. So... <laughs> it's still you're not getting rid of it or pretending that my ridiculous face is not here anymore you still see both but you're shifting your attention gently towards something else so keep that in mind as we now shift into talking about exposure and response prevention just like how you can listen to us and also hear the doorbell same kind of thing fantastic you can't example. suppress it i was waiting for that yeah yeah, sorry, couldn't resist. No, it's so I'm good. going to talk about exposure and response prevention, the hallmark of OCD tra treatment. Briefly, exposures involve the triggering of obsessions or what we also call intrusive thoughts. And ex uh, triggers can be unplanned, what we call passive exposures, or planned, what we call active exposures. I like to think of OCD as a bully because bullies are obnoxious, they're intrusive, they cause anxiety, they make you do things you don't want to do. And so if, with this bully metaphor, an unplanned or passive exposure is when the bully comes up to you on the playground and says, give me your lunch money. A planned or active exposure is when you go find the bully, you go look all around the playground, you go up to the bully and the bully says, give me your lunch money. So that's kind of a way to think of the difference. So regardless of the trigger or, ex or exposure, in order to break the OCD cycle that Kelly and Lauren so beautifully illustrated, one must choose to respond differently to them to choose not to compulse. That is the response prevention piece. And it is the most important part of the behavioral treatment of OCD. Exposure without response prevention is just, you know, if you respond, you're compulsing. So you're not doing ERP. 
Okay, so over time, ERP breaks the OCD cycle by training the OCD brain that the thoughts, feelings, and sensations that are so distressing will pass without compulsing. So what does ERP look like when it comes to mental compulsions, which is why we're here? So how can one apply ERP to mental compulsions? Basically, response prevention in the case of mental compulsions involves learning to disengage from them, as Kevin was explaining, disengaging from thought suppression. The idea of disengagement is really important because it's really common for one to start mentally compulsing without being fully aware of doing so. Someone with OCD can be triggered and obsessing and not recognize the fine line when they veered from obsessing into mentally compulsing and actively creating mental compulsions. Mental compulsions can feel like obsessions because they can be repetitive in nature like obsessions. It's not uncommon for me to have clients describe, oh, I was obsessing for days after I got triggered. And then when we unpack it in session, we discover, well, you were obsessing, but you were also compulsing mentally in response to the obsessions. That's what kept you in the cycle for days. I find it really useful for my clients to have them think of mental compulsions as thought-based behaviors. This helps clients to understand that they actively choose to create mental compulsions so they can actively choose to stop mentally compulsing, to stop that thought-based behavior and to over time and over time to eventually not even start mentally compulsing. So response prevention involving mental compulsion starts with recognizing I am mentally compulsing. I am creating a thought-based behavior and then gently disengaging with them. But with practice, one can learn to actually feel the itch to start mentally compulsing and resist the urge to scratch that itch. Still, mental compulsions can be slippery. They can be tricky to recognize even for those who are skilled and have learned how to resist the urge to engage in them, they may sometimes catch themselves in the middle of mentally compulsing. So disengagement tends to be a better goal than complete eradication. So we're gonna look at a couple of examples, I believe, of active exposures. So the first would be the exposure would be um, not a, not a trigger, but an active exposure. Purposely thinking, but it will be triggering, purposely thinking a bad thought about God. And the response prevention is refrain from thinking a good thought. I will tell clients if the good thought pops up and you catch yourself neutralizing mentally compulsion, drop the bad thought again. Try again. Just keep trying. The other example is look at purposely look at an image of someone of the gender that you're afraid you're attracted to and then resist from ruminating about what physical sensations may mean, which is kind of referring to the groinal response. People with sexual obsessions often will check in with their groin to see if they're having a response. And guess what? When you check in with your groin, your groin responds. It's like, hey, is there a reason I need to respond? So. Um, I just want to be clear, too, that this sounds simple, and it kind of is a simple, elegant idea, but it's not easy. It takes practice, but with practice, you can get there. And there are things that can help, and I think Kelly's going to talk about something important that can help. Mindfulness. So, <clears throat> here's the thing. This is going to be a really short <laughs> description of mindfulness because of sake of time, but um it's really important. In fact, I think we would all agree here and, and the speakers here with me would agree that it's a necessary skill that's needed to combat mental compulsions. If we're unaware of our own thought process, we will, we're un unable to fight it back. How can we resist a compulsion if we're not even aware it's happening? So 
let me just try to define mindfulness as best I can. Uh, it's It means maintaining this moment-by-moment awareness of our thoughts, our feelings, our experiences, our bodily sensations through a gentle, curious, non-judgmental uh, way. And it involves acceptance, meaning that we pay attention to our thoughts and our feelings without judging them, without believing them, for instance, that there should somehow be this right or wrong way of thinking or that I have to feel there's a good feeling or a bad feeling or a good thought or a bad thought. The next step in mindfulness is the hardest, and that is choice. And Elena spoke a bit about it just right before me is now there's this awareness of thinking, right? So you're aware of the thoughts, and now you're aware of your mind thinking about the thoughts, and then you can choose to notice and accept all the uncomfortable going on internally and to choose to come back when our minds start to get lost in these mental compulsions or this active behavior of thinking and figuring it out, or we can choose to then engage in compulsions. Um, so it is a choice. So we just, it's a muscle. So meditation is a formal practice way that you can help foster and, and build this muscle. So keep in mind, mindfulness is a skill. It takes a lot of time and patience and practice to build it. And meditation is a great way that you can um, practice the skill in, in a vacuum. Think of it like going to the gym to train. So when you have this meditation practice, it gives you a place to focus on watching your mind grab onto something and then choosing to disengage from it. So um, next, I was going to go into non-engagement responses, which at its at its core is really what we're talking about is mindfulness, is note, noting it, note your thoughts, like, oh, look, there's a thought, and then, oh, welcome back. Oh, have you met the others? So you're acknowledging its existence, but you're not continuing the conversation. You're not then doing that active thinking, like I was just talking about, that the compulsing aspect of it. So like, oh, check you out. Welcome back. Have you met all the other guys here? Uh, it lightens it up a little bit and you become more of this witness and observer to it instead of just sucked into the vortex of OCD. Um, so I always think of Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. So every time someone talks to Groot, if you have not seen this movie, I apologize for the spoiler alert, but it's too good to not tell you because it's a really great trick. Um, he Every time someone speaks to Groot, he says, I am Groot. So he acknowledges the person has spoken to him, that this is, is his existence, and then I am Groot. So it's it's really a great way to acknowledge and then not continue the conversation. Um, and Lauren is going to talk a little bit more about response prevention. So ultimately, all of the ERP and the mindfulness, all this information is leading up to response prevention in daily life. That's what brings people to treatment is that compulsions start to overtake their lives. And so we're trying to build this muscle to support people in accepting uncertainty, accepting anxiety, and disengaging from compulsions, mental or otherwise, so that they can bring their attention back to the business of living. Yeah. And so 
Um, passive exposures might look like you're walking along the street and you see a child and you think, oh my gosh, what if I want to uh, push that child into traffic? That's you're triggered. That's a passive exposure opportunity. And naming those as exposures can be really helpful in cueing people to practice response prevention. If you see triggers in your daily life as exposures, you're like, oh, wait, I know how to deal with this. I've been practicing that with my active ERP. Um, and I, I do, in terms of response prevention, and this last point that I make here, refocusing on life is a form of response prevention. I want to sort of uh, note what, what Kelly was talking about with mindfulness meditation, this practice of noticing when you're engaged in the trying to figure it out and the active thinking, which you, it doesn't have to be done in meditation, but it's really clear to see it. You notice that you're thinking and then you bring your attention back to the present moment, often uh, in, in an anchor like the breath, right? So a, a physical, uh, tangible experience in the here and now that you can rest your attention on. When it comes to, and that you might notice when you're meditating, oh, wait, I just got caught up, caught up in some sort of mental compulsion, bring it on back. The same thing can happen in everyday life. When you're living your life, and you face an unplanned exposure and you really want to figure out with mental compulsions or other compulsions, whether or not something bad is going to happen, um, you can bring your attention back to the sensory experience of being alive in the here and now. Not to the uh, exclusion of having the thoughts like Kevin was talking about. We're not talking about suppressing the thoughts like, all right, you can be over there, but at, like the leaves in the background for him. And I care about staring at Kevin's face right now. So I'm going to bring it back to that. Kevin, Kevin doesn't like being cared about. So you're welcome. Um, but uh, bottom line is that there are, are supports all around us for response prevention. Because I'm guessing if you've been living with this condition for any amount of time, that ultimately most other things are more important to you than trying to get certainty about something that you cannot get certainty about. Total trap. So example of passive exposure while watching TV, a commercial for Anthony and Anthony Bourdain show comes on. And for those of you who don't know, Anthony Bourdain did die uh, by suicide. And so somebody with self-harm OCD might have a thought like, Oh my gosh, what if I want, I want to kill myself. And sort of a stepwise response prevention uh, response is to refrain from trying to figure out what caused him to die by suicide in order to compare your experience to his, right? That's the, the rumination, the mental compulsion. And then accepting the presence of thoughts and like the thought that you might want to die by suicide of the feelings of anxiety that came up when you had that thought and of the uncertainty that exists that we cannot know whether or not sometime in the future, any of us might like to die by suicide. And then we refocus, we refocus on the TV show and the jingle that came on in the next commercial. Um, so that's, I think really what we're aiming for here is to bring you back to your everyday life. And then there are maybe statements. So, and. Uh, Sometimes people won't respond to manufactured exposures. Oh, so yeah. 
Uh, we might create active exposures in session, imaginal scripts where people write the story or um, all sorts of things, but people just don't feel anxious in response to them, but they do feel anxious in everyday life when a trigger comes about. Usually it's the, actually the daily triggers are the hardest ones to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when, when we, especially when we find that people don't respond to manufactured exposures, we can use maybe statements to take on this exposure attitude or mindset of let's bring on the uncertainty because we're, again, trying to flex that muscle. We're trying to learn how to accept uncertainty. So you have the thought come up. Maybe I want to push that little girl into the street and you respond by saying, maybe I do. And this is the brave stuff right here because that that's the uncertainty. That's the thing that keeps you stuck in the cycle is an unwillingness to accept the possibility. And so at that moment, you're likely to have a flood of anxiety and then you breathe it in, you make space for it. You allow it to be present and you come back to your feet against the pavement and the flicker of the sunlight against the little girl's hair. And then the thought maybe comes up again and you do it all over again, right? This is the practice of disengaging from mental compulsions. Um, And I want to be clear too, uh, before you start practicing maybe statements, it's quite normal to look at rationally, okay, is there any reason once you get one time that you're going to look at reason, is there any real reason why I would push that little girl into the street or that I'm prone to harming people? And if the answer is no, then you commit to accepting uncertainty about whether or not you're going to do those things so that OCD loses its power and you get your life back. So with all of that said, thank you so much for attending this talk. We, we are so grateful to have the opportunity to talk about this. Um, they are so, so tricky. And it's really not important to call out specific mental compulsions. It's just so long as you're beginning to notice, oh, I'm in my head trying to figure it out. Okay, do I want to do that? No, I don't I don't want to spend my life trying to figure it out. I'm coming back. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for sitting through that talk. Hopefully it was interesting. Hopefully it was not too redundant, at least on my end. I get self-critical when it comes to talks like this and recorded things, but You know, here we are doing uncomfortable things, and I know this uh, may not be as difficult as some other exposures that people are doing, but you know what? It is still uncomfortable nonetheless. So anyhow, thank you all for listening. Again, if you have questions about what we talked about or would like further clarification, either from me or one of the other presenters, you can let me know at fearcastpodcast.com or again over at Instagram. I'm fearcastpodcast there. Let me know, and I will wrangle in one of the other speakers, and I will um, I will force them to join me on a podcast to talk about this stuff with y'all because I know you have questions, and we would like to help. So, again, thank you all so much for joining me. And uh, please remember the uh, FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions uh, about treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some stuff that might be beneficial and helpful for you there. So, all right, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. 